and welcome to the Money Magic Podcast with Vangile Makwakwa. This is the podcast where we talk about trauma and how it affects our finances and our lives. I help women of color unlock ancestral wisdom so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. This podcast was birthed when I started having conversations with private clients and students in my online courses about the remarkable shifts they'd had in their finances and started receiving feedback and updates from people on how these conversations were helping them understand their family dynamics and financial behavior. I've seen how unlocking ancestral wisdom has helped me pay off $60,000 in debt, buy property, launch and grow my company Wealthy Money into a six-figure business in US dollars as I travel and live in various countries on the globe. I've lived in over eight countries and traveled to many more as I built this company. My intention with this podcast is to provide you with weekly episodes that help you understand the importance of healing and help you understand your relationship with money better so you can start making different financial decisions and creating a life you love for yourself and future generations. So without further ado, let's get started and dive into this week's episode. Hey, Money Magicians, how are you? So welcome to another Money Magic series um, interview. Today, my guest is one of my oldest friends. Actually, we've known each other from university. And his name is Vongs, short for Vongani. And he is here to talk to us about his company. It's an investment company. And that's why I I invited him over. If you've just joined us and you're like, what is the Money Magic Series? The Money Magic Series is where I invite Money Magic students to come and share about their relationship with money. But sometimes I will invite a guest that is not a Money Magic (laughs) student and they get to come and share about something related to trauma and money. My name is Vangile Makwakwa, and I am your host for the series. I help women of color heal ancestral money trauma so that they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. And under all that is investments, which is why I've invited Vance, but I've also invited him because I am also the director of the company that is starting. So I'm one of the directors. So welcome, Vance. Thank you for having a sit down with us. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> thank you for yeah. inviting me. It's actually such an interesting show because I really, really want to talk more about investments. Every so often, take like a little break from the intense trauma work. But who are you? Can you tell us about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Okay, so I'm uh, I'm Vongs. It's short. It's a short for uh, Vongani with a V. So that's Tonga. 
um, the traditional Tsonga Bongani instead of uh, the Zulu Bongani. Um, and I'm actually uh, an investment enthusiast. Um, I started off in copywriting. Um, that's what I studied um, at mm -hmm. Red and Yellow in Cape Town. Um, Red and Yellow is a school for, for marketing, communications, advertising. Um, and when I was there, I had this strong interest in, in investing and the financial markets and wanting to understand what's going on. Um, at the time, obviously, I was studying copywriting, but the, with the interest I had, um, I, didn't, I didn't go into studying because I was, I was doing copywriting work. Um, but the interest was still there. Um, and a lot of and a lot of stuff that I researched, sort of, um, even while studying copywriting, had to do with investing and wanting to understand the terms and what this meant, and watching certain channels, and listening to certain programs. So that's where the bug, I could say, uh, bit. Um, and from that point onwards, um, I became and I stayed uh, an investment enthusiast. I didn't want to study uh, investing per se, because um, the the end goal for me was more to be the shareholder or to be the investor, um, yes. as opposed to being a practitioner. Um, yes. So 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 some people would want to become practitioners and go into financial advice and that sort of thing and and have offices in that space. I didn't really want to be in that space. I wanted more to be on the shareholding side, watching what my investments are doing, how my investments are performing, and understanding how to invest in general and how to do it correctly. Um, so the interest was always there. And this was now years ago, um, around 2000 and 2004, 2005, six, um, that this was happening. Um, after that, what happened is I joined uh, my father's company um, he has a petroleum business and what that did is it helped me to get closer to researching on my own so I had more time to research and understand what was going on mm. um, but being in the petroleum space since petroleum is a commodity there's a close relation to the financial markets mm. um, even though commodities are not a financial market in their own um, yes. but that helped me to understand things much better uh, yeah. to see what was happening. Okay, fine. For example, commodities, some commodities are being traded on certain exchanges. What yeah. is this? What is happening? What is Brent crude? How does Brent crude work in the market in general, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And then and I, I am to going to stop you well. right there. This is what <laughs> I, I always love it when I talk to super financial people because, wow, you guys use the big words. So, could you please yes. break down what is a commodity for people and what do you mean that certain commodities are traded on certain exchanges? I thought that the stock exchange was only for shares. This is me obviously talking for <laughs> other people. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so a commodity would be a raw product. Um, you could look at anything that is, it's either grown from the ground. So, so it could be a, an agricultural product. It could be something that is mined from the ground, a yes. mineral. Um, yes. But commodities are generally the raw products that would go into producing something else or producing um, something that, that could come off that commodity um, as, a, as a feedstock, like an ingredient. 
into producing something. So for you've got your 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 metals, for example, like gold and silver. These would be your precious metals, platinum. Um, and then you've got other types of commodities like oil, um, which would obviously go and produce your own product, which is petrol, petroleum or petrol that, that you would fill up in your car. Um, so, so those kinds of markets uh, or those kinds of commodities do get traded on certain stock exchanges um, because there's a demand Oh. So, so there's a demand. So so what would happen is that because there are demands and requirements for supply of these um, products, yeah, uh, the prices might fluctuate or might mm. um, move up or down depending on what's happening with demand and supply. Mm. So because of such phenomena, sometimes you get these things being traded on central in a central place which would be the yes. market or a stock exchange or some other market, some other yes. exchange um, and by using the term stock exchange technically I'm actually calling it wrong because it's not a stock it's a commodity it's so a commodity it, would, it would be traded exchange. on various commodities exchanges if I can put it that way yes. um, but nonetheless um, these commodities would exist and these commodities would need to would need to be supplied and these commodities would need to be traded for their pricing on the various exchanges. So wow. being, so working with um, my father, who was in the petroleum space, but he was supplying uh, traditional petrol, diesel, and that sort. Um, mm -hmm. I dug deeper to understand the value chain of petroleum. So it huh. went back to understanding what goes on from the crude oil phase uh, what happens there? How does the crude oil get traded? Uh, how is it priced? Where is it priced? Who buys it? How does it move? And that sort of thing. So yeah. I started to understand the value chain, but understanding the value chain of commodities brought me closer to also understanding the value chain of the broader markets in general, mm -hmm. where we now start to speak of shares and stocks, and we yes. start to speak of Forex and the currency markets. Um, and we start to speak of uh, uh, bonds and the debt markets. Yes. So all of that started to to sort of come together by understanding what was happening within the commodity space, because mm. sometimes some of these things get interlinked one way or another. Especially True. with commodities and forex, to some extent, do get have a close relationship. Totally. Um, commodities, commodities sometimes with debt also do ha do have. Um, a close relate, uh, sorry, a close, a close relationship. So those kinds of things um, help me to understand a little bit better. But the basis and the foundation of everything was my interest, strong interest in wanting to understand investments and how those things work. Wow. So I made a, I made a, I made a mistake at some point um, where I thought. Let me follow this commodity side. Let me understand this. And then you, you forget about what's happening in other areas of investments. And those yes. would be the shares and that sort of thing. And <laughs> the research when it comes to, when it comes to shares came in a little bit later, um, if ah. you can put it that way. 
That makes sense, though. I mean, you are in the commodities markets. I'm just interested. Did you ever buy like the options and the futures, or were you just researching? I was. I was actually researching. Um, my father's petroleum business was was a traditional um, supplier, so okay. uh, we didn't really go into into say things like hedging or into the fun, into the markets or other yes. markets to help out in the in the supply of the petroleum. We didn't yeah. we didn't um, play in that space. However, yeah. I was fortunate to join um, a larger commodities company called Trafigura. Um, wow. which which were um, uh, a global commodities player. Um, mm-hmm. They competed at the level, as far as I understand, they competed at the level of the Glencores mm-hmm. um, and other large um, commodities companies. So they, they would have an oil desk and they would have a metals desk um, yeah. and other desks for, for various yeah. um, activities. Um, yeah. But even then in that space, um, I was still doing traditional uh, supply of diesel, for example, into various countries, African countries. Mm. But being closer to um, a global company, I started to understand how what happens on the other side of things um, yes. in the financial markets as well. But this was also just my research um, extended into other markets and other spaces. So wow. there was a lot of reading that I did. Um, a lot of researching and reading that I did over and above the type of work that I was doing mm. um, in the commodity spaces with the various companies. Yeah. You know, my first ever office job was as a mining and energy analyst. <laughs> so I had to learn a bit about the commodities market. Yeah. Um, it's weird. Obviously, I quit on, if you know me, <laughs> what you do, I quit on the basis of the climate. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we all quit on the basis of the climate. <laughs> right? I I have no regrets though because it's yeah. just taken me. Yeah, but yeah, it's such a fascinating market and an interesting space to be in to just like see how the prices of commodities are set. You know, yes. and also just how much crazy money. Um, investment companies make from commodities because when yeah. we talk of investments, we often only talk about shares and yes. or exchange traded funds, but very rarely are people talking about the commodities market and like literally talking about the derivatives market, which is, I think, yeah. most people see that as like the hedge fund arena anyway. Yes. Yeah. But there's a lot of crazy money that is made in commodities. Yeah. So so, yeah. so just to just to touch a bit on that one, um, uh, to give a bit of highlight of of who I am and other things I do on the side, the, the circus on the side, if I can call it that, um, is um, there is a little bit of a speculator in me, a speculative trading in me. Wow. Um, so I do a little bit of that. It's 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 not a it's not a major thing. It's not something that I. I go into because I've been burnt. Um, I've had my fingers burnt. Yeah. Um, but having gone into that, and that's part of the research that I that I was doing, having gone into that, I sort of started to understand that, okay, this is how you speculate. This is how it's done. Mm-hmm. And my speculative operation prefers to work only with commodities, but this mm-hmm. is only for speculation. So it prefers only to work with certain commodities and it's 
the the precious metals so it's mainly gold and um mainly oil um yeah. and i stick with that only um, I there's like a lot there's a, a lot that goes on though, aren't they? i mean like yes, you could have yes. predicted that the oil price would uh change and would drop during covid obviously if airplanes yeah. are grounded and all that and you can almost predict that gold is always a safety uh metal so yeah. whenever anything crazy happens in the world people will put their money in gold so you're still <laughs> the investor that i imagine you exactly. to be even in your I like them for, for that reason as well <laughs> yeah Wow. Yeah. I genuinely genuinely So so I'm already enjoying this conversation. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the the speculative element the speculative element um of of oil So yeah, Vance you were saying the speculative element? Yeah, so I was saying um the speculative element of gold and oil is quite predictable um mm. and i went into it specifically for that um yeah. so when i did my little research on the side i started to understand that okay there is some predictability in this but also it was what i was familiar with um yes. from the start and what i had a strong interest in from the start so i just kept to that and i i didn't deviate too far out obviously i researched other commodities and wanted to understand what's happening in other spaces uh especially yeah. some of the agricultural stuff um and and uh, uh natural gas which was yeah. quite um strong on my radar yeah. but then I took that off as well and still yeah. and decided let me just focus on uh what I know and what I understand um yeah. and this is just speculation in any case so I don't have to diversify too hard or yeah. too far and let's just for 5 seconds explain what speculation is because someone is like listening and well what the heck so let's talk about what is the difference between and this is so key for what we're about to talk about with uh your company right or should i say yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's um what is our the company <laughs> yeah our company right so what is the difference although you're really the head of the company so i don't want to take away from that at all what is the difference between um investing and speculating because wow like sometimes it kind of takes me off track as well <laughs> i'm just going to repeat that question again once because you were a little stuck so um what's the difference between investing and speculating and now okay, you're so, very dark <laughs> i'm not so sure why i'm dark yes <laughs> so um speculation what happens there is that um you're actually playing almost a guessing game um you you suspect that a certain price is going to go up uh and you simply enter a position with the anticipation that the price would go up or you enter a position with the anticipation that a price would go down um although i call it a guessing game but it's actually educated guessing to some degree because you do some research you study what's happening there are various things that you look into um and then you have a, a general understanding of where the market or price might go 
Um, however, within speculation, you do not own the underlying assets. So for example, if, if I'm speculating in gold, um, I do not own any gold. Uh, I do not own any gold lots or any gold ounces or any gold anything. I do not take storage. I do not receive delivery of, etc., etc. I'm just speculating or playing the price of gold. Yeah. However, when you invest, you now start introducing the element of ownership uh, or, the, or the element of participation. So if you own, if you invest in gold in a traditional sense, um, for example, in the South African sense, you would probably be buying Krugerrands. Um, yeah. that, that would count as gold bullion. You take ownership of physical Krugerrands. Uh, or, or, or physical bullion, and then you keep it somewhere stored, perhaps in a vault, maybe somebody helps you store it, or you store it somewhere where you feel it's safe in your home or whatever the case may be. But you've taken uh, owner of this asset and sell the asset at any other time, irrespective of price, um, or you can keep it even to pass on to other generations or whatever the case is, but the asset belongs to you now, you own it. So that would count as investing. Yes. Um, and I think the major element there, the major, the, the important term to understand there is ownership versus non-ownership. So the one, there's ownership of an asset and the other one, there isn't ownership of the asset, but you're simply playing the price of the assets. Yeah. So, so that would be the major differences between speculation and investing. Yeah. So, so in speculation and investing, you have various markets. You'd have commodities speculating and investing. You'd have uh, stocks speculating and investing. You'd have forex speculating and investing. Um, and you, uh, derivatives play closely to speculation more, more than investing. But then yes. even in the derivatives market, you get you get some form of investing if, if you if you like, depending on the instruments. Um, yes. And there you also get speculating and investing um, yeah. and the bond and debt markets as well. Yes, yes. Um, I want to almost say like, I think I'm kind of like with other investors on the derivatives market that like, oh, uh, no. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I'm also not a fan because they do cause a lot of upheaval. So guys, let's uh, quickly explain what the derivatives market is. So the derivatives market is basically you get to be, uh, you're able to buy a, basically a contract to buy something in the future, a commodity usually in the future, right? And you get to choose and then you get to set the price on, uh, you get to set a price to say, I think that the price of oil is going to go down. So if the price of oil goes all the way down and I have a contract to buy oil at $35 instead of say $40, then people in the future will pay me X amount of money to be able to buy oil and uh, to be able to get this contract that I have so that I can buy oil at $35 instead of $40. So then you make money that way. That's like, I'm not even sure if I'm explaining it as succinctly as it can be explained. <laughs> 
but that's basically the gist of it, right? And as you can imagine, I don't want to say it causes, in my view, right? And some investors have also said this. It can cause some kind, I don't want to say chaos because maybe that's too strong a word, but some confusion on the market because here we are, we've all determined that the price of oil is this much. And then here come these guys with their fancy contracts and they like, actually, if you come and you buy my contract, you're not buying the actual oil. You're buying the contract to be able to buy the oil at the set price. Then they like, well, I can sell you the contract just so that you can buy the real deal. So derivatives are kind of like an insane market. And yeah, like I I understand them, but I'm not a fan. (laughs) It can get complicated and complex. Um, so, so, So the way I understand them is that it's basically the term derivative is that it's a market derived from an underlying market. So it's taken from something that is already there in and of itself. It cannot exist. It has to exist with an underlying market. Um, And, and you get various derivatives, for example, options, um, as far as I understand, options themselves are derivatives um, because options the, the options, yeah, the ways they were options, futures, warrants, those mm-hmm. kinds of markets basically are derivatives because the way they operate, they're derived from the yeah. various uh, primary markets or underlying markets at the bottom, yeah. the underlying prices. Yes. Um, and obviously their pricing uh, is a function of what's happening in the underlying pricing. Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's very complex and I don't like like I said, I understand, but I also don't understand. I think that only, in my opinion, I feel like only really hedge fund people and people who deal with derivatives maybe understand them. <laughs> not too sure. I stay away from that. Uh, so I won't lie, I'm also not a fan. <laughs> it's very, very complicated. I remember having to yeah. learn about this in finance and then in the MBA program, I was just like, can we just not? And then I actually ended up being a college tutor on derivatives, the worst things in finance. I was just like, oh, but I needed the money. So, <laughs> so I that one up, thing, that one thing you didn't want, you had to teach. <laughs> I needed the money. And so I taught it and I became yeah. a little more, I got a, slight bit of understanding but trust and believe i don't even play yeah. that mark <laughs> but Vance, let's talk about public and proper so public and proper is the company that you've started and you've gathered some of us as directors in this company which is how i know about it but no i lie that's not how i know about it i knew about this long before it actually became a reality because <laughs> we sat down at an ethiopian restaurant yes. in Joburg and had a whole conversation about how to make this a reality and to see it happening uh, like for you to yeah. come share the vision and then to see it happening is beautiful so tell us why are you starting this company so um there are a few reasons uh i think two of the major reasons uh one i had a 
I had an invest. I still have an investment company. It's a small investment company, um, and there I do proper investing. This is traditional buying of shares, holding. Uh, a lot of the shares that I've bought through that company are still held by the company. Um, I haven't sold uh, any of the companies that are there. I think there are about ten companies on the portfolio, wow. um, and I and I just keep on earning some dividends off it. Um, but it's a small company. Um, I like to call it a tiny, tiny little private investment um, operation. I'm the only person there, sole director, sole shareholder. Um, so I looked at this and I started to see that, look, it works. Um, this thing is, is busy paying the dividends that it should be paying um, as I anticipated. And I worked off uh, what I call a customized value ap approach so the customized value approach is it's just one of the ways investors would um, choose to invest in certain companies. So if you're an investor, you say, okay, fine, I'm this type of person or I prefer this type of approach versus another type of approach. So that there, are multi, there are many approaches that you can take. Um, and I prefer this one called value approach, which has to deal with, which has to do with the value, looking into the value of a particular company uh, based on certain criteria. And then after having seen the value of that company, you say, okay, fine, I'm going to buy it based on this, on this value. If it doesn't meet the value criteria that you set, you don't buy it. So that's just one of the, that's just one of the things that go into value investing, but mine is customized. So it's, it, it's, it's elements that I've brought into the picture on top of elements that other people have brought. Um, or other elements that I've learned from other people. Mm -hmm. So I work it in that sense. Now, this was a tiny little business, uh, still a tiny little business. And I thought, hold up, since it's working, I would like to go big with this. Mm -hmm. um, I want to I wanna go big. Um, I want to involve more people. Um, the type of wealth that this little operation will, will generate is not sufficient because it's small. Yeah. Um, investing is capital heavy. It's capital intensive. Um, I like to say capital Why do you intensive. Mean by capital heavy and capital uh, slash capital intensive, so people understand. It requires a lot of money. Okay. Um, so a lot of money has to be brought in mm -hmm. for you to make a lot of money or to generate a lot of money. You need yeah. to put in a lot of money. Yes. Um, it's one of those. It's one of those situations where um, to make money, you must put in money. Yes. Um, and and to make a lot of money, you must put in a lot of money. Mm. Uh, and that's just the nature of investing. If you're doing it correctly, um, and if you're doing it properly, it, that's the nature of it. Yes. Um, so I realized that I need to actually work with people. I need yeah. to bring people around me. I need to work with the public and I need to generate wealth, not only for myself, but wealth that would also work for other people because I had seen in my little experiment that this thing can actually work and it can take off. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons. The other reason was, uh, other major reason was I, I had observed a number of people out in the market who let me say we're getting swindled um, yes. by, by people who, who weren't doing things properly, unscrupulous yeah. practitioners and that sort of thing. And I felt that that sort of thing 
it brings in a bad name for people who are doing it properly and who are doing it quickly. And I was like, okay, fine, hold up. Maybe this thing can actually also work as an alternative for people to come on board and actually realize that, okay, fine. Even though there are people who would go out and swindle, there are also other people who would go out and do things properly for everybody's benefit. Um, and I wanted to have a setup like that to say, okay, fine, let it be an example. Um, I know of a number of people who have sort of signed off basically from investing um, and they'll wow. say, no, no, it's not for me. Never again. I've had my fingers burnt. Don't tell me about that. If I want to generate wow. income, if I want to generate wealth, I'll just go work. You know, yeah. um, don't come and tell me about investing this, investing that. Just give me a job, give me work and I'll just do that and I'll put my money in the bank and that's it. Yeah. So having having met people like that or seen people like that was a bit of a sort of eye opener for me to say, okay, fine. So there are people like that who've been burnt, but then it's only because there are people who are not doing it correctly out there as well. And they've come across the wrong type of person. Yes. How about and I they also come think, I also think that we use investment so loosely in yes. our society, right? It's that someone tells you, oh my gosh, you're going to make a, a, like literally a, 60% return or a 90% yeah. return in 90 days. And we're like, that's investing, right? Nobody talks about long-term investing, which is for me, when we were sitting down at the restaurant yes. and you were telling me about this idea, the thing that caught me was we started talking about value investing, which you've just mentioned here. Could yeah. you please tell us what the value investing strategy is, how it differs to other investing strategies? So, so the original um, idea for value investing started off with this gentleman called Benjamin Graham. Mm. Um, and uh, excuse me if I forget the dates and times and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, but, but I think he was born in the late 1800s, 1894, I think, right about there. And um, he, he got into the, the financial markets and into brokerages and that sort of thing. And he started investing as well. There's a, there's a, there's a book written about him, a memoir that he's written um, about him. And he also had issues within the financial markets yeah. where he lost money and he saw other people losing money. And then he's, he devised this strategy to say if you look at these sort of things or these elements within a particular company yeah. it can help you to to invest in the companies that are more robust and companies that will be able to pay you back in terms of share pricing and dividends in the long run mm -hmm. um, one of the important factors about uh, um, value investing is that you need to look at the share price the company's price versus its assets mm. so so it's important to certify this company's share price um, is let's argue it's 10 rand yes. however the assets of this company per share are sitting at for example one rand or 50 cents now when you look at that you start to understand that okay hold up the share price is completely overvalued versus the the assets and the actual value of this company yeah so therefore it's overvalued you don't buy it um what i'm saying here is i'm simplifying his terms um uh, benjamin graham's 
value investing approach is a little more complex, um, but I didn't want to go too deep into it um, because because we could sit here throughout the whole day and the whole night um, <laughs> debating his value approach. But in a yeah. in a nutshell, that's what that that's the kind of idea that it brings out to say, okay, fine, do not buy something that is completely way off its mm. intrinsic value. Um, yes. And and that's the principle that I then sort of said, okay, fine, I like this idea. It looks into various financial ratios. For example, you get the current ratio in, in finance, um, where, where which deals with sort of the working capital as well. And you're saying, okay, fine, current assets divided by current liabilities. Yes. What are we looking at there? Are current assets higher than current liabilities? Or are the current liabilities more than the current assets? Therefore, it means that this company is actually in trouble. Yes. Um, so, and and can't cover basically uh, the liabilities that it it may have um, with the assets that it has. So yeah. it looks into things like um, debt to equity um, percentages. Um, yeah. So, so in that situation where you're looking at debt to equity, I like to I like to play it with countries to say debt to equity could be similar to debt to GDP. So, yes. so, so if if the debt of a company is so high that it supersedes the equities, the ownership of the company, then yep. you basically don't have ownership. The company yes. is actually owned by debt. Yes. Um, if none of the shareholders have anything in this business technically because yeah. the debt holders are the ones that own this company yeah so it looks into those various sort of fundamental issues about the financial statements of the company mm. um uh value investing does not focus on technical type of approach technical approach is where you just look at how the share price is performing um some of the trends on the share price uh, trend lines and whatever other um, tools that you may use to sort of predict or direct the share price. It doesn't yes. look into those things. It simply looks into the health um, of a particular company. So it's like a doctor who would say, okay, fine, let's check your heart rate. Let's check your blood sugar levels. Let's check your your lungs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I like so that it looks analogy, into, actually, because yeah, so, so many it, of us are investing based on, well, this person looks healthy, right? Yeah. So it's the same with how we we go into the stock market most times. Most of us are like, well, based on the track record, uh, genetically, it looks yes. like it's all good, you know? Yes. But really, we're not going in and doing all the other medical checks to verify, is this yeah. company actually as healthy as it looks? And then we, and that's how we get exactly. burned by investing, right? Because, yeah. and sometimes it's like, my friend told me that they made 30% return from investing in this. Yeah. Now we also run and we go invest in yeah. that company. And then COVID hits and we wonder why the company isn't able to weather the storm because yes. it wasn't healthy within exactly so so the other important thing as well looking at the health of things is that sometimes you find with value investing you find these companies as you say they look healthy but yes. apart from looking healthy they they big they're massive yes. they are well known yes. and yes. you start to think that because 
they are big and well known, mm -hmm. they are healthy. Yes. Um, and uh, there's a personal story with Steinhoff um, where I, I, I personally told a friend that I, would, I wouldn't look at Steinhoff. I never liked Steinhoff. When I did my research on Steinhoff, I never liked it. And then yeah. a friend of, I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, and we're discussing it. And when the Steinhoff issues happened, um, this guy, I think I can't remember how long it was after the, the mess in December of that, that year. Um, yeah. He came back and he said, guess who invested in Steinhoff, you know, um, <laughs> obviously meaning that he had put in money in Steinhoff. And I just had a giggle and I said, you see, I, I told you I wouldn't go for Steinhoff. <laughs> so, so this is a large corporation, you know, it was yeah. in the top 40. They, yeah. they look big and they look healthy. Yeah. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily the case that they are healthy. So you still have to go into understanding um, those heart rates and blood sugar levels and what's happening in the lungs, what's happening yes. here and what's happening there, etc. Yes, yes. Wow, I really, really love this because you've just taken investing to another level because most of us get excited by the graphs which is the technical analysis right we were yeah. able to look at but look at how this share price has grown the the growth of the share price in the last five years and all this and um yeah. the other thing that i think that we need to talk on in um value investing is also looking at the non numbers like the non quant quantitative stuff and looking at the qualitative stuff. So what are some of the yes. things that you're looking at that are not numbers based within the company when you are pursuing value investing? And why is this important? So the one important element is what's happening in the news that that could threaten the existence of this business. Now we're looking into areas of litigation. Yeah. Um, uh, we're looking into areas of directors misbehaving, mm -hmm. CEOs misbehaving, mm -hmm. um, that sort of thing. We're looking into difficult shareholders that are stifling the growth of this. Of this. So normally you find those kinds of things within the news. Um, so after you would have done um, your fundamental analysis, checked mm -hmm. everything, your balance sheets, checked your income statements, the income records and that sort of thing you then would go into saying, okay, fine, um, what's happening in the news? So there was one company this one this one time, um, and I don't know if I can say this, but Lewis, Lewis Holdings. I like I like Lewis. The furniture shop. The furniture shop. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so so I looked at, I looked at the time, um, I looked at it and I liked it. Yeah. But at the time, it was going through it was going through um, some sort of problem with its directors, yeah. um, and and litigation with its directors. I don't know the final detail of what was happening there, but I just stopped and I said it's something to watch, because I don't know how much that issue would affect the ultimate uh, fundamentals of this business, especially in terms of share prices. The other thing to understand Ooh, you just was, said something so powerful there, Vongs. People are thinking, you know, when we look at companies that are like, oh my God, we want to protect our brand, we often think it's only about sales. But why is it so important to understand the team in a company that you're investing in? 
what is the role of the team? Why me, would the directors um, kind of give you pause, the issues with directors? I think for me, um, if the team is not sound, um, and if the team is not gelling together, they're not working together properly, um, yeah. ultimately it creates all sorts of conflicts, um, which mm -hmm. will be seen by the shareholders and which will be seen in the performance of the company. So I think it's quite important to look into those things. Personally, I don't, I don't delve into private issues of directors to say, okay, fine, this director, this director is has this history or that history and that sort of thing i don't i personally don't dig deep into that yeah. but when the directors are together in the boardroom yes. what are they doing um are there any conflicts in the boardroom are there any issues in the boardroom are they mm -hmm. are there any difficult challenges within the boardroom so what you'll find is that you'll find that the directors don't want a particular ceo because the ceo is impl implicated in some other graph that's happening elsewhere Mm -hmm. So when you start to discover those kinds of things, then you, you might want to say, okay, fine, hold up. Oh, that's what I would do. I would say, hold up. Um, let, let me watch this space rather than just jumping into this company because I don't know what's going to happen with the CEO. I don't know what's going to happen with the board in general. Um, and, and the challenge with that is that it, it, it tends to, from our observation, tends to affect the performance and the business. So, so even the morale, even the morale of some of the employees drops, um, some of the sales start to drop, um, and then the share price start to drop. So the share price is quite important in, in understanding the whole value issue. Um, it's important to say, okay, fine, look, the share price is here. I like it. It's perfect because it's here. It meets my value criteria. But when the share price starts yes. to fall, and you enter, but when the share price starts to fall, it starts to affect your investment as well. And sometimes with stocks, yes. share prices can fall and stay low for a very long time. Mm. And you don't necessarily want that all the time. So yes. you want a situation where perhaps you could have waited, you could have waited out the fall and then come in at a much lower price. Um, and obviously by coming in at a much lower price, you're coming in at a level where you find that the value criteria pass even much more. So if, if, if you are passing by 60% on the value criteria, you're now passing by 90% because of the share price allowing that. Mm. Um, so it's, I find that to be, yes. to be a little bit of a, of a balance that you need to strike, but you also need to look at what's happening in the boardroom, not so much the people involved. So, so some people have got, they've got this thing where they praise people. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not much of a praiser. Um, I'm on the other side, actually. I don't, I don't praise people. You know, some people would say, yeah, because X, Y, and Z is now the CEO of this company, things are going to be perfect. Yeah. You know? We know this that person. That is um, like the star CEO yes. syndrome, right? The yes. belief that the CEO, which is true. There, there's many cases where you've seen this, where a CEO yeah. comes in and they turn around the entire company because yeah. of their leadership style. But sometimes it doesn't always hold true because the company's yes. issues are so deeply embedded within the company culture that yeah. even the CEO with their brilliance cannot motivate yes. the employees to exactly. do something different. Exactly. 
So, so I prefer to look at that. To Selkafan, X person came into this company, um, and this person, when they came into this business, what's happening now in the boardroom? What's the news that's coming out? And if yeah. you start to see finding news about directors doing this or directors being ill, um, ill behaved, that is, directors doing X, Y, and Z, then you start to worry and say, okay, fine, hold up. Maybe this is not so much their personal lives, but more so the jellying in the boardroom. And it, all, it always comes up because most of these companies are public companies and they have to make reports. And, and they would report it and they would have these, like, for example, the, the sense, the, the stock has changed, new services. They'd have to make the announcements and that sort of thing. When they make these announcements, you can have, a, you, get a, you get a sense of what's going on. You yeah. get an idea that, okay, fine, the board is not gelling on this. The board is struggling with this. The board is taking one of their own directors to court for this and that, you know. So yes. that's when you start to worry that, okay, fine, there might be issues here. Um, but the bigger thing or the major thing for me is to say these issues that are there, are they so strong or big enough to collapse the business? Is Ooh, it something that person. is so massive that it's, it, it might actually bring the business down uh, to allow maybe other suitors to buy it out or, or whatever the case is? So, for example, I use Steinhoff as an example because it's in the public domain and we've read, we've yeah. read up a, a lot about it. Um, when I saw the whole Steinhoff saga play out, to me, it was one of those things that said, okay, fine, this is a serious red flag. It's such, it's such a big red flag, it could break the company into bits. I didn't imagine that Steinhoff would collapse um, in my mind, but I understood that it could break up into bits. So this unit could go off on its own. Another unit which is uh, struggling could be bought out by someone else. You know, and they might want to save some of the, the good pieces, put them together and some of the bad pieces, put them on, a, on another area. So I, I, I sort of understood that sort of dynamic playing out. Yeah. I don't know if it did. I haven't been following much of it. But um, in my mind, that's the, the, those were the concerns that were there. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's going to affect, start affecting what happens now in the financial statements. It's going to start affecting what's happening in the share price. Um, yes. And and those sort of dynamics might play out a bit negatively uh, to some extent. Yeah. Wow. So, Vance, you've just walked us through your entire investment strategy. Am I correct? This is the same kind of investment strategy that public and proper would use uh, for yeah, so each and every share, like company that they decide that the company invests in. Is this yeah, a similar so, strategy? So what what would happen there is that um, what I've just described is more so the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Um, the rest is underwater. <laughs> <laughs> we just need the tip of the iceberg. We only have yeah. so much time here and so many questions to get through. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so the rest is underwater. But but if I'm if I'm to sort of put it together nicely, um, the way public and proper would operate is is that it would look at um, uh, uh, the financial position of the company. Yes. Um, old school would say balance sheet. Yes. Um, and what, what happens there is that we're looking at a certain current ratio. We're looking at certain debt to equity percentages. Mm -hmm. We're looking at um, certain long-term debt um, to equity. Um, 
or, or long-term debt to working capital rather, not long-term yes. debt to equity, long-term debt to working capital. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at the income uh, of the company and the income record. So I think that the company would need, the companies, the target companies would need to have an income record of about three years um, positive, okay. Okay. Or, or two years positive. Okay. Yeah. And we're looking at uh, dividend records. Now the dividend record is very important here yes. um, for public, public and proper because the major earnings of the company come from dividends. And that's okay. what we're targeting. And the idea with the dividends is that we want a dividend which is above 100 cents. So mm. 100 cents, we're talking about a, a one rand in South African terms yes. and above. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so we're looking at 100 cents. Now, the, the, there's a special trick that we're playing in terms of the 100 cents. Um, what that does, it's going to come through with, with the price of the company that we're buying into. So here's an example, right? Um, we're also looking at companies that are that are selling below one thousand cents. Now one thousand cents is ten rand. Yes. So if you buy a company that is trading at under 10, 10 rand, yes, and that company is paying you a dividend over one rand, mm. right? And how often? What do happens they pay there? The if you do the math carefully. So how often yeah, the do dividend, they pay the, the dividend, dividend record has to be there. The yeah, so so what happens is the company, the companies, the target companies can pay a dividend once or twice a year. That's that's fine. It's not nice. an issue, as long as there's a dividend record. So okay. of three years. So we would know that okay, fine. This company is a regular dividend payer. Okay. So so coming in to say okay, this is a regular dividend payer. Chances are they're gonna pay a dividend next year. If things go well, they're gonna pay a dividend the following year. Obviously, if you're going to get a year like COVID-19, or rather a year with COVID-19, a year yeah. like 2020, yeah, and they don't pay a dividend, it's excusable, it's understandable, yes. and you're like, okay, we, we see what happened, we all know what happened. But in yeah. general terms, um, companies operate and they do well, healthy companies operate and they do well, mm -hmm. and when they do well, you expect them to pay a dividend. Yes. And if they're a, if they're a, if they're a, tr a, a traditional dividend payer, then you'd know that okay, chances are they'll pay it. Mm. But now, what happens mathematically? The example I wanted to bring you to was to say, if this company is trading at below ten rand, which is one thousand cents, yes, and it's paying you a dividend at about at above one rand, with which is a hundred cents, yes, what that is what that is automatically going to do is that it's going to give you a above 10% return. I yep. don't want to say guaranteed because you never know. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to use that term. I hate that term in, in, in investing and finance. Yeah. But, but it gives you, let me say, uh, an understandable yes. 10%. Yes. So you would understand that you should get 10%. Yes. Um, and this is only from a dividend. Yes. It's not this from the share not price moving up or down. So the share the, price can stay. Yeah. Now, as you're saying, you can't, yeah. so we're the, not even so the looking capital at the appreciation, share increase. Yes. We're not bothering with the share. We're not looking at the shares. Um, share price can stay the same if it wants. Mm -hmm. It can go up by only 1% or it can drop down by 2%. 
we're not bothered with that. The issue here is that just from dividends alone, you sort of lock in, maybe that's a better term. You sort of lock in um, a 10%, above 10% return. Now, if we're fortunate, the share price would go up. Now, mm. why would the share price go up? It would go up because we bought it, um, we would have bought the company based on uh, our value principles. And, the, and, and as mentioned, the value principles would want to say, do not buy anything that is too far overpriced, buy it closer to the value of a specific company or a particular company. Wow, that's incredible. But share- you were saying share prices have got ways of going down too. <laughs> They do, they do. <laughs> and we're not gonna talk on that now. Yeah. So. Okay, so we've got the investment strategy, which is really awesome. I hope everybody's ex- as excited <laughs> as I was. So, um, okay, I was gonna jump to the next question and then it just hit me. Some people don't know what dividend shares are and what dividends are. Yeah. Please, can you explain that just so that we make it easy and thorough so yes. people understand okay so when a when a company operates um and it makes an income mm-hmm. uh, a net income usually um a part of that net income gets paid back to shareholders this is this is not a hard and fast rule um it's it's it depends on the type of company it is um and it also depends on the resolutions of the board so a particular board um in a company that is operating in the retail space would say okay fine we have made so much in net income and of that net income would like to pay so much as a dividend and this is a distribution back to the shareholders of the company and whoever owns shares at a particular time which might be called a record date at this particular time, at this particular date, based on these particular circumstances, those people would be able to earn um, the dividends from the company. Mm. Um, And that would form the income for the shareholders from that that company. So shareholders wouldn't uh, derive an income as employees or, or as salaries because of employment or as uh, remuneration because of directorship, they would then derive their earnings from that particular company as dividends based on the income that the that the company makes. Um, what I'm saying is 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 not a hundred percent correct if I can if I can put it that way because there are other times where some companies don't even make an income and still pay a dividend, maybe from reserves yeah. um, or from what other arrangements they may have Um, and some other companies are forced by law to pay dividends in a particular way Um, so for example as far as i understand you've got real estate investment trusts which would have to uh, pay distributions by law in a particular way because that's what the law says um, uh, so, so, so there are various ways of paying out dividends and various ways companies are, are supposed to pay out dividends. But in a traditional sense, not all companies are forced to pay out dividends. Some dividends may be cumulative as well. Um, so they yes. might say, okay, oh, fine, we didn't pay you a dividend this year, we would have paid X, Y, so we're going to pay you so much next year. 
which is the dividend that should have been paid the previous year. Um, yeah. So there are various things that happen within companies. It's all, it all works to the board of directors uh, resolutions in yes. general. Yes, which is also so important to understand who, um, how, what the board of directors has planned. So just to recap, Havans, because I know for some people, yes. this may be just new information, guys. So I'm going to keep doing quick recaps. Vance is starting public and yeah. proper, and they're going to be how he's going to be um, choosing the companies in terms of like the strategy, not the choice of the companies yet. We're going to talk about that. But his strategy is value investing, which means that he will only invest in companies that meet a particular criteria based on what's happening financially in the balance sheet, in the income statement, and even what's happening in the news, what's happening with how the team works, the board of directors, all that. But another key thing is that the company needs to pay dividends. So whatever company public and proper is going to own a share of, that company will need to pay dividends. And he just explained what dividends are, so you don't need me for that. But this then brings us to the next point, um, Vance. Tell us about the type of companies that public and proper will be a shareholder of, right? Yeah. What do you plan to invest in? And um, what countries are you focusing on? So far, we've yeah. all assumed that maybe this will be based in just the South African market. <laughs> but let's talk about what is your vision? Is it just South Africa and what kind of industries and yeah, companies are you looking at? Yeah. So, so just to just to clarify on the value investing thing, it's um, I think it's important to to mention that it's a customized uh, value investing approach. Um, okay. The term customized is is quite politically correct because um, there's a lot of debate on what value investing is exactly <laughs> and how it should be done. And some people see it this way and some people see it that way. And some people say, if you're not doing it exactly as Benjamin Graham said it, it's not exactly value investing, mm. you know? So, so there's, a, there's a lot of debate going on, but, but it's important um, to mention that it's customized on our part. Okay. Um, and I think many other Thank value investors are customized as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so the kind of, say, target companies, if I can put it that way, um, although technically it's not target companies, we call them preferred companies um, that, we, that we're looking to, to work with or invest in are retailers. So it's companies that have a retail unit or retail element to the business, mm -hmm. but it's irrespective of the sector classification. So sector classification, we're talking about the category are you in the banking sector? Are you in the in the uh, pharmaceutical sector? Are you in the um, electronic communication sector? That sort of thing. So irrespective of the sector classification of those businesses, um, we, we're looking for companies that have a retail unit. Um, and a retail unit, we're saying that as long as it does business with the general public. So people from the public can walk in or can do online trading, buying, 
of this company's products and services. That's oh. that's the type of business we're looking at. So a, a retail bank would yes. qualify, for example, yes. um, a, a, a company that is involved in grocery retail would qualify. Mm. Uh, a teleco telecoms company um, which has retail customers, the general public as its customers and subscribers would qualify. Yes. So it's not just the case of saying that the company has to be specifically within the retail sector. Mm. So now these companies um, that we're looking at uh, can exist locally in South Africa because we're incorporated in South Africa. Public and proper is a South African incorporation. It's a public company in South Africa as we yes. speak. So we didn't want to neglect the South African market. The South African market is also an important market because it's quite robust. It's quite big um, yes. uh, and it's sizable as well. Yeah. And these companies have to exist on a stock exchange. So they need to be publicly traded on a stock exchange uh, or on an exchange in the Republic. Yeah. Now we're also looking at companies which are publicly traded in other countries yes. um, and these countries are specific we're looking at trillion dollar economies um, wow. now trillion dollar economies we're talking about um, uh, trillion dollar economies by purchasing power parity by the way okay. um, so so and I'm, and I'm gonna get into purchasing power parity um, <laughs> I was about to while. say you may want to explain that <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I'll, I'll get into it in a short while but what happens here is that we're looking at, at companies that are trillion dollar eco economies by purchasing power parity. Mm -hmm. um, you, you would know some of them, your US, your China, your India, um, basically um, all of the BRICS nations are there. Yes. Uh, BRICS, we're talking about Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, but South Africa um, wouldn't qualify based on being a trillion dollar economy yet it's not yet a trillion dollar economy by purchasing power parity but it qualifies yes. as mentioned because it's the whole um heavyweight france italy um and i think spain is there i stand corrected but i think spain is there um and you're looking at some emerging markets um some countries which which would be considered emerging markets so here we're talking about your Nigeria, Egypt, Indonesia, um, Mexico. Um, I, I'm wait. not 200% sure whether Mexico is considered emerging or or not, but I think it is. Um, yeah. and, so and a few other countries around the world. So trillion dollar economies. Yes. So oh, all wow. the names, all the countries that I've mentioned, um, they're trillion dollar. They're all trillion dollar economies by purchasing power parity. Some of these countries were trillion dollar uh, economies, but wow! Yeah, this is amazing. It's, it's quite interesting, you know. The, the, for example, um, I I was a bit surprised when I when I discovered that Pakistan is also a trillion dollar economy. Um, I was surprised wow. on that one. I was surprised by a few as well. Yeah, uh, Thailand is also a trillion dollar economy. Wow. Um, and obviously Australia. I think Australia is a, is a general, we would understand that it's there. Yes. So, so they're quite interesting. These economies, um, from the info that I have, they account for close to or around 80% of the global economy. 
So all these trillion dollar economies together that, that, that by purchasing power together, they form about 80% of the entire global economy. So that's one of the reasons why we wanted to work with those kinds of companies because then they give us access to the global economy. Um, wow. And secondly, because they are trillion dollar economies, some of them are generally stable. Um, I think it would be fair to say most of them are quite stable countries. Um, so, so working with stable countries, I think is quite important. Um, whereas you might want to go into an emerging market. Um, it's a tiny little emerging market. It's a tiny little country, but then you find that it's not so stable or even if it looks stable today, it's easily, it can be easily disrupted, um, in a few years to come. Yeah. So, so those kinds of things were quite important to understand to say, if you're going to be buying into global economies or, or buying into global equities, which countries would you have to work with? Mm. And I'll prefer to work with stable countries. Um, mm. countries with a track record of no civil wars, at least not in the past 10 or 20 years, you know, uh, situations like that. But it's not all of them, um, which are 100% stable, but they do have large economies nonetheless. <laughs> Some of the trillion dollar economies that you yeah. mentioned are not that stable. I mean, even in yes. the traditional Western economies that have been mentioned are definitely not stable. <laughs> I think that 2020 has shown us that uh, some economies that we thought were robust are not as robust as we believed them to be. But you're right, they are trillion dollar yes. economies and um, a lot of the companies that a lot of the big brands, especially the dividend paying uh, brand like companies would be listed yeah. on those stock markets. So, wow. Yes. So, so it's also important to understand that these many of these trillion dollar economies have got robust stock markets, stock exchanges, stock markets. Mm. Um, uh, it's important. That's a very important element, actually, um, because some of these countries that are not trillion dollar economies don't have robust stock exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are emerging markets, but then their stock exchanges are tiny. You, some of them you yes. find that you've only got about 10 counters on the stock exchange, or you've only got yeah. about less than 50 counters on the stock exchange. I've lived um, in many countries But what you like want that. is a situation where... <laughs> yeah. Where there's just not a stock market. You want countries with, with robust stock markets. Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting. So yeah. <laughs> um, how would public and proper as a so, company yeah, we, we, work? Sorry, I kind of interrupted you. Please uh, complete your sentence once. Yeah, so I was saying, yeah, we're looking into those, into those countries, um, those kinds of countries and those kinds of stock markets um, mm. in, those, in those countries. Um, and, and the idea here is to expose ourselves to global equities. Mm -hmm. um, what we don't want is a situation where we're only exposed to South Africa as a local economy yeah. uh, or just perhaps SADC as a local economy. Um, we wanted to actually get exposure, exposure to what's happening in the world. Um, yeah. But not just general global exposure, 
we wanted global exposure that exposes us to the value of the world. So what you might find is a situation where um, there's an ETF somewhere, um, sitting somewhere which would expose mm -hmm. an investor to global equities, uh, a world index mm -hmm. of sorts, if I can put it that way. Um, so so you might find that in that index, you're not exposed to value entirely. Yeah, yeah true. Um, Whereas what we want is global exposure, but exposed to the kind of value that we want, not just mm -hmm. any large corporations in those various countries. Mm. And obviously the benefit of this is unlike if you are investing in exchange traded funds, which I like, by the way, guys, but <laughs> this is different, yes. is that you get to actively be picking the companies you get to have those discussions whereas with an exchange traded fund it's a fund so someone in another financial services company has chosen that and we don't know if they're choosing the companies to invest in based on value a value investing strategy a technical strategy um uh, which is just technical analysis growth strategy there are so many different investment strategies that i use yeah. when compiling um companies to invest in in funds so you don't really really know how these companies made it into the fund right so that's something to just be aware of yes so Vance, I'm sure everyone's now like wondering, how does this company work? So walk us through. What are some of your key strengths? How's the company working? Are you going to have an office somewhere? Are you going to be like, are, are investors going to be paying for office buildings? Because isn't that the big thing that we all complain about is that that is my commission that is helping build <laughs> big fancy offices in in financial services companies that is the thing like we talk like that right yeah what are some how do you plan to be different what are your key strength a strength so, yeah that's the word <laughs> yeah strengths strengths and uniqueness mm. so mm. what 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 we have um, is a situation where um, we don't want we don't want to take away from investment capital, yeah. and we don't want to take away from shareholder value. Um, so I'll start at the point where we we trying to reduce costs as much as possible. We're not going to have um, offices of our own, so so to speak. Mm -hmm. Our offices um, are those of our company secretary. So there's a company secretary um, who, before the incorporation of this company, we started working with, um, we were communicating with them to help us get everything in, in place together, set, mm -hmm. set everything up. Um, they helped with our incorporation. So that company secretary, for example, when we, when we officially appoint them, um, obviously they would come in, to, in as our company secretary, but we're working and using their offices. Um, uh, where they are, and, and 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 in that way, we reduce the costs of buildings, the costs of rentals, um, the cost that goes into working an office in general. Um, secondly, we we don't want to work with uh, employees as such, 
although we will have services rendered to us. So the reason I say we don't want to work with employees, it can come, especially in a country like South Africa, where there's so much unemployment, it can come across as, oh, that's such a bad thing. They don't want to employ anybody. But that's not the case. Yeah. Is that we understand that the employment budget cost on a company can be very high. Um, and the issues that you have to deal with regarding um, employees can run those costs higher as well. So HR costs can run the employment costs higher. Mm -hmm. So what happens there is that we, we thought, okay, fine, let's take that out, take that element out entirely. This is the capital of the so, Vance, we lost you when you said uh, take out the cost of employees okay. entirely. Yes. So, so the idea was to take out the cost of um, the cost of employees entirely because that that cost can be run up even by the HR cost. Um, so I would say, okay, mm -hmm. let us start with um, outsourced services. So we, we, the services yeah. that we need, for example, auditor, company secretary, um, we need a portfolio manager, we need um, an accountant, we would outsource. Now there yes. it's based on negotiated pricing and we're not dealing with direct employees working in within that department within our company. Um, we are mm -hmm. appointing a particular contractor who we would then pay in return for services rendered. Um, and that's the kind of idea we believe that it lowers the costs um, on the shareholder. Um, mm. So the idea here is to say, okay, fine, let's limit as much as possible. The board of directors is limited to nine uh, yes. directors, so we don't exceed nine. Some, some boards, you may know that they can go into the 20s. Um, sure. And and the minute you start having a situation like that, you start to have remuneration issues. Directors need to be paid. Um, yes. And some directors are paid more than others. Yes. So, so you run up costs in that sense. We've limited ours to nine uh, and obviously had a minimum of five because we still need to meet the statutes um, of a public company. Um, yes. So it's between five and nine, anything there is fine. Five to nine is fine. Um, and that would also lower the director's costs um, in that sense. On top of that, on top of that, what is nice about director's remuneration, as opposed to employees' salaries, is that director's remuneration is actually approved by shareholders. Mm -hmm. So the board of directors would take what they want to be paid, they'd have to give it to shareholders to resolve on. And mm -hmm. once that is approved, at least you know that that is a cost that the shareholders are prepared to take. Yes. Um, employee salaries are negotiated on by the board and by the managers. So that yes. is a different ballgame entirely. Yes. So, wow. so we realize wow. that that saves a lot of costs on the shareholder in that sense. Mm. So, so what happens here is that um, as the company operates, um, we want to raise capital from the general public. Yes. Um, we want to run an IPO. Okay. So you were saying we want to run an IPO? 
Yes. So what we want is to run an IPO um, in, the, in the traditional sense, um, as, as uh, stated in the Companies Act, mm-hmm. um, raise capital from the general public, because the company is already incorporated as a public company, raise yeah. capital from the general public. There would then be um, a budget allocated, obviously, to operations, yeah. um, and there would be a budget allocated to um, investing capital, investment capital or investing. Um, And what happens there is as we operate, we want a situation where we pay dividends twice a year, half yearly and for the full year. Mm. So so we're paying our dividends and it's 75%, by the way. So what I'm saying is already enshrined in the it's already enshrined in our memorandum of incorporation where we have to pay dividends twice a year to yes. the shareholders yes. and we have to pay 70 up to 75%. 75% of the net income has to be paid out as dividends. So what that does is it allows for 25% to go back and be re, uh, reinvestment. Um, mm. And that's the kind of situation that we want. So 25% goes back into reinvestment, 75% goes to shareholders, and the company turns into a cash cow. So that's an important element to understand. So we're basically building a cash cow um, where the cash cow receives dividends from the world, the various various currencies of the world. Mm. It draws it into South Africa and it pays it out into shareholders um, of public and proper in that sense. And this happens twice a year as a cash cow. Yeah. So you're basically just getting money every six months. You you invest and your initial yes. investment just keeps making you money, guys, consistently. You're not having yes. to wait on share prices to increase and to sell shares in order to make money, which is, I think, what most of us think uh, how most of us think of the stock market is like we buy low and then we sell high but what yes. Vance is uh, proposing with public and proper is that you hold on to the shares for and we forgot to mention that that yes. because it's a value investing is about long-term investing that is the key um i guess that's the key factor behind value investing is that you constantly hold on to the shares so you've got a share yes. and you just go about your business and you know that every six months you're getting money from that. You're getting money yes. from that and the shares are increasing in value, but you don't, uh, but public and proper isn't going to be selling and trading shares. That's not the main thing. It's that it's literally making money from the dividends and the value of the company also increases as the share as the shares increase, the shares that I invested in are increasing. So, so yeah. powerful. So, 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 so just, to, just to add to that, and uh, you reminded me when you mentioned that uh, we forgot to mention the long-term um, element of things. Yeah. Um, it's true, there's the long-term element of things. So what happens is when the portfolio managers buy these various shares, the mm-hmm. idea is to hold them. But it's not just to hold them as is. Yes. Um, as the reinvestments come on, we want to actually be in a position where we're buying more and more. So if, if a particular company is proving to be a very good value, customized value stock, yes. um, 
we want a situation where we can buy more and buy more up until we have perhaps um, a major shareholding in the company. So when we talk of major shareholdings, it, this depends on whatever the, the country's acts say, but sometimes we find it's a situation of a 3% or more or 5% or more or 10% or more shareholding in some of these businesses. Um, but apart from a major shareholding, if possible, we can even run to a majority shareholding. So this is a situation yes. where we have more than 50% shareholding in a particular business. So, so we want to hold it for the longest time possible. There will be situations, as far as I understand, where the company now out of our preference um, sort of radar or preference space. Now, when those companies start to do that, um, you might find that the portfolio management company uh, team then decides to say, okay, fine, guys, we need to actually exit this company. We need to exit this business. Here's a scenario as an example. So we've bought company X. Uh, company X was a perfect customized value stock when we came in. But now the share price has run up so much. It's, pre it's perhaps sitting at about 500% above its value. Yes. Now, when you have Time a situation like that, it, it's a lovely situation to look at. And you're like, oh, perfect. Now there's lovely capital appreciation on this thing. However, mm -hmm. it's now it's not behaving the way you actually want it to behave. Mm -hmm. So you can offload some of your shares. Yes. So you can then say, okay, fine, I have so many shares. I've got, for argument's sake, I've got 1 million shares in this business. Let me offload 300,000 of those. Um, and continue holding the, the balance. And then with the capital, I can buy something else, which is now a bit closer to its value. Or part of that, I can pay out um, to form net income, which pays out dividends. Mm, so I like it's that. probably happen from time to time. And loading off is not a situation of exiting the entire company completely. It's a situation of loading part off and then at another time, perhaps now that 500% has dropped back closer to where we want it and you can load up again. So it's, it's, not yeah. a, it's not a straight line, if I can put it that way. It's, a, it's something that needs to be monitored and watched on a regular basis from time to time, but it's not active mm -hmm. trading. So we hold, we buy yes. and we hold, and we just watch from yes. time to time. Yes, we forgot to mention that, that there's, this is not active trading, guys. Active trading is a whole different strategy altogether. And I personally, I love the strategy, Mom. I am for the strategy. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? Because you're putting in money, your shares are appreciating, but you're also making money every six months. No brainer. Like that is so nice. Yeah. So um, that's the idea. Vance, what is the targeted capital that you're aiming to raise with public and proper? We want to raise 50 million um, initially. So what happens here with this 50 million, that's the, that's the initial, this is the initial IPO um, that we, we would love to run. So it's... Million? Yes. So we would love to raise 50 million. Um, and what happens is that that's the target. What happens is that 
with a company's act you need to have a minimum raise as well but the minimum raise needs to be a reasonable amount for you to do a 17 million um yes. with a target raise of 50 million um mm. but this is just the initial this is just the initial ipo the way um we imagine things moving forward is that because 50 million is a reasonable amount now not to start with but it's sorry so you were saying 50 million is a reasonable amount tell us what you mean by that because someone is listening and thinking what is like 50 million rand <laughs> so it's a reasonable amount but in the in the global sense it's a reasonable amount it's a lot of money 50 million is yes. a lot of money um uh we believe it's it's raisable although it's a lot of money yeah but in the global sense of things it's actually not much if 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 we if we were to be completely honest um and the reason 50 million makes a lot of sense to start with now is because um we're building this track record and we're developing this company and there's nothing stopping us in future from running another capital raise um yes. so capital raises some capital right raises nowadays they run into the hundreds of millions so people are raising 500 million in one yes. go for wow. example which which would amount to which would amount to 10 times what we we going for yeah. now yeah. so so in the global sense 50 million gets us going quite well i believe yeah. um i believe it starts it's a it's a lovely start it's a reasonable start it's a good start mm. but what it does in the global sense when you start to convert 50 million into pounds into euros and into dollars mm. you start to see that it's actually not that much um, and these are some of the currencies we might have to work with or or, or yeah. deal with when we go to the world so you start to see that okay fine it's not that much but it allows us to move quite well yes so this is true yeah, so we're not starting with a super flashy sports car we're starting with a with a lovely entry level car that gets us going quite well mm. and does the job yes i like that bounce um the other thing that i wanted to ask was also how do people get involved how do people start buying shares so guys if you want to start buying shares and be part of public and proper and right from the get-go because also remember that the shares of public and proper are shares that you can trade and sell because the shares themselves will be valuable so how do people buy shares in this awesome company public and proper so so we haven't uh, started the ipo yet so what's going to happen so an ipo is the initial public offering mm-hmm. um and and this is where we say we're going out to the the general public and offering them shares of the company yes. um so we haven't done it yet what still needs to be done the legwork that still needs to go into it is preparing the prospectus um getting it completely right down to the t um because prospectuses are very important in the ipos but apart from them being important for the ipo the the correctness and accuracy of uh prospectus is very important 
um, so so we need to we need to work on that and make sure that we're happy. Um, we once that is in place and once all the service providers and agreements, the relevant agreements with various service providers are also in place, um, we'll be able to then set up a time and dates for the IPO and the procedure and processes of how things will be done. The way I imagine it is that this should happen in the first half of next year. Mm. Um, if you recall, we, we the idea was to probably have it done this year, um, yes. in the second <laughs> half of this year. Um, but then there were, there were obvious hard. reasons for that not happening. Yeah, um, we so all the, understand. The, the, exactly. <laughs> So, so the idea is to have things sorted out um, and ready to go to the public in the first half of, of next year. Yeah. Um, I cannot give you the exact month or date or week um, of when that would be. Um, but then what happens there is that once the IPO is running, yes. um, the details of how people, the general public come, can come on board and become shareholders will be detailed. Um, the service providers that we use will be able to communicate to the general public to say this is how you actually get your shares. This is this is what you need to submit. This is what we need. This is what we will give you in return, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So those details will be lined out and and detailed um, with the service providers plus um, the company and the process of the company. So that information will come out. What what we do know is that the idea for the minimum entry is 1,000. That's the general yes. idea that we have. Um, yes. So so a person who's interested such a nice in amount. yeah, we, we think it's a it's a lovely round round amount. Yeah. What the idea is to allow um, as many shareholders as and as many types of investors to participate. Yes. So, so you may be a very wealthy individual, a minded individual living in a lovely area, a lovely suburb, or you may be someone who's still coming up and coming and trying. Um, they're lacking various spaces, um, working as an entrepreneur, perhaps self-employed, perhaps, and those two people can meet in one company. Um, yes. That's the general idea of it. Um, yeah. And the other important thing is that the the company is it only issues out one type of or one class of shares. Mm -hmm. So we're only going to have ordinary shares that are issued out. All the shareholders are equal. Um, yes. So irrespective of whether you're a five percent shareholder or you're a zero point five percent shareholder, we all have ordinary shares. Yes. Um, no other type of shares are going to be issued and the single class of ordinary shares is all, is going to have the same type of rights and privileges to it that everybody else has. So, so we're all working on the same level, on the same scope. Um, what, what we don't want to do or what we won't do is get, enter into any debt. Um, the yes. idea is to raise capital from the general public only. Um, we don't want to say go to institutions to say, okay, we want to raise so much capital from an example, a bank. Um, we don't want to get into loans. We don't want to get into debt situations. What that does, um, what debt does, which I think some people don't notice, um, and I may have alluded to it earlier on when we started off, is that debt actually takes away your equity. 
So, it does. So, so one of the best examples I can think of, and, and I think you would know this because you're in the property space, uh, is a yeah. house. So if you yeah. pay, if you pay, if you're fortunate enough to pay a house off um, cash, you yeah. have full control and full equity in that house. Whereas yeah. if you're entering through debt, which may or may not be a good thing, depending on circumstances, um, when you enter with debt, you find that your equity is reduced by that debt. So the yes. debt holder actually controls a portion of the property. Yes. So, so that's what we're trying to avoid here. We're trying to avoid a situation where debt holders um, take away the value from shareholders. Yes. So that's what we said. Let's just bring shareholders and none of the debt holders. I, I am in agreement with that. You know, like I struggle a lot, even in property with the concept of debt. I've learned to yeah. understand it and understand how it works. But I won't lie, like it's always this balancing act and I have to be yeah. okay with it. There's some things where I've been like, mm, no, if I can rather refinance and not take on a new loan, that would be a better yes. option, you know, because of the very thing that you've just spoken about. It does yeah. erode equity. So, um, yes. Vance, I'm just really interested. Is there a way that maybe there could be people are listening to this and they're feeling like, yeah, I want to be part of this. This is such an interesting way to invest. I can feel it. It, it makes sense to me because this lands with me, you know? Um, I don't want to constantly yeah. be buying and selling and an active investor. So can we start creating a database uh, for people? Can people message yes. you and email you so that when the prospectus is ready, they are the ones that get the emails and everything beforehand? Yes. So um, we have a website, uh, yes. which is www.publicandproper.co.za. Uh, yes. mm -hmm. So so publicandproper.co.za is a subscription form, and it's free subscription where, where you just click on the button and you subscribe to getting updates of what we're doing. Yes. Um, so So what happens there is that um when you get when we when something happens within the company when new develop the de, new developments take place we will then communicate back and tell you that okay this is where we are this is what we're doing this is the meeting that we had this is how it went um and we just inform you of some of the important developments obviously not not um uh everyday things um yes. just important some of the important developments that happen yeah. so we've sent through so far one update um, yes. And we don't want to bombard people with updates. So it's not something that's going to come once a week or twice a month. It's something that's going to come as and when. Okay. Uh, 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 so, so you can go to the website. The, the other option is to use uh, email. So yes. there's hello at publicandproper.co.za. Yes. You can send an email there and we'll respond to you. Um, mm -hmm. Or you could send an email to ma to me directly, which is Vongani with a V. So that's V-O-N. Yeah. So it's Vongani um, as opposed to Bongani. Yes. Uh, so it's Vongani at publicandproper.co.za. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you can send emails to whichever 
any of the any of the email addresses yes. um or check us on the on the website okay. um and then we'll make communication um to you in writing in that sense okay wow so guys i hope you enjoyed this so once before i say thank you is there anything else that we missed with public and proper i feel like we did a pretty good job of explaining what it is <laughs> Yeah. So do I you think, have any last um, words to add? Personally, I think this is is a lovely project. Um what we have is uh a, a lovely team of individuals. So we've got eight directors so far um mm -hmm. within the within the team and I'm the only male. Um you will see that you'll see that in the website. Um True. but in the team we've got CAs you know we've got CAs we've got MBAs um we've got uh BCom graduates we've got a copywriter <laughs> um we've got finance graduates and we've got an advocate so yeah. so i think that's that's a lovely that's you know that's a lovely group of people to get this thing going well and properly um yes. and the the major reason or one of the reasons i thought um working with women was good is because women tend to be more careful tend to be more um scrupulous in terms of getting things done properly uh in terms of making sure that things are organized in terms of making sure that um everything's above board and the term is actually ethical um i believe that women tend to be more ethical and i thought that this is something new it needs to be done properly ethically and it needs to be done in the right way um and that's why it's the the board is women strong um and not to say to men that look men are not going to join and what not they would um and i think with time the world the moi does allow for rotation uh within the board um but uh i personally strongly believe in women as directors um especially women as directors in companies um not just in any other type of organization but in companies public companies um that are operating um the the other thing Can to I mention is when the ipo runs i just want to yeah. quickly interrupt hold the thought of when the ipo uh when the ipo yes. runs but there are studies yes. that have been done that when a board has a third a woman uh, has a third of the board of directors is women there've been studies that are done that show that when it starts yes. to cross that one third threshold companies outperform other companies are uh, in their industry that don't have the same makeup so what you've just said isn't just this work there are actual studies done on that i have my theories on that right and i do believe that boards should be diverse male and female but i do think that there is a lot to be said about that extra feminine <laughs> energy yeah. on the board yeah so those studies are very interesting guys go google them you'll be fascinated yeah. by them <laughs> Yeah. yeah so you were I saying when the, the IPO runs <laughs> I was saying when the when the IPO runs um what we what we actually expect in the initial phase 
is a situation where um, we might not list immediately on a stock exchange, uh, allowing for that free movement of, of shares between shareholders. But uh, it is allowed, and this is also enshrined in the MOI, that when uh, at a reasonable time, at a good time, at an appropriate time, we can uh, work with a, a, um, an over-the-counter exchange or over-the-counter trading. So what over-the-counter trading is, uh, or an OTC market rather, um, uh, what an OTC market is, is a situation where uh, buyers and sellers of shares can advertise on a particular bulletin board similar to a bulletin board that you might find at a school or university where someone puts up a notice, a notice board basically, and then you connect with that person based on the notice. So, so it allows a similar situation where buyers and sellers come together and, and they can meet each other and they can actually trade their shares at a price that they agree upon. Um, I believe that that's something that we would probably allow um, as time develops after the IPO and as the company operates. Um, yeah. Wow. This is absolutely incredible. So, wow, Vance, this is incredible. Guys, please go check this company out, right? It's publicandproper.co.za. Get on the newsletter. The, it's definitely happening <laughs> in the first half of 2021. 2020 threw all of us for a loop. It's okay. But I think that what we've shared in this interview has given you so much insight yeah. on what it is that uh, Vance is bringing to life. And I'm just really, really honored that I was drawn into this and asked to be one of the directors and that I got to sit in when the vision was being formed. So it's just, it's been really, really beautiful to observe it and to see just how much work Vance puts into this, hey? He does a lot of work. He, he meets with the lawyers. I mean, they had to figure out how to um, get me into meetings from Sri Lanka several times. It's just been the most incredible thing to watch. So his commitment to helping. And when I, when I first met him, he was just, when we first met to talk about this, not when I first met him, but when we first met to talk about this, his whole thing was, how do we create, how do we give everyone an opportunity to create wealth in South Africa yeah. so that it's open to everybody and people can invest here for the long term because when you do yeah. pass on you can leave your shares to your children and your grandchildren so how do we invest in that manner this is also another way of creating generational wealth property is not the only way right there are many ways i mean warren buffett is like the third richest man in the world or something because of this type of investing strategy it is this it's a similar yeah. concept right he's also a value investor it's all about investing in companies holding on to them getting dividends but really investing for the long term so we're moving away from oh my god my friend told me this is a great company i'm gonna buy it and then i'm gonna sell it but yeah. this is how we create yeah. generational wealth when it comes 
to investing. So I hope that you guys will come on board, join us, share this video. Please share away, share away. You never know who wants to hear about this and who will be motivated and who will want to come on board. So thank you so much, Vongs, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It was a lovely conversation. I enjoyed it. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot still to talk about because it's a it's a little bit of a technical engine, public yes. and proper. But I think people will, will 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 understand it even more with time. Yes, definitely. But yeah. we've already started the conversation. So thank you so much, yeah. money magicians, for joining us for this incredible episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it and. I feel like most of us probably learned a lot about investing and we're going home to sit and think about it, um, think about all that we've learned. So if you've enjoyed this and you're like, what the heck is this wealthy money thing about? I want to learn more. I want to understand more about money, right? Wealthy money is really about creating, helping people create wealth. Um, the focus is on increasing our streams of income and on getting your expenses under control, I guess. I don't want to use control, but really changing your spending habits increasing income, creating extra streams of income. So if this is resonating with you, you want to have more such conversations, especially in the Money Magic Student Group, join us, get on the waiting list. If we're not open for registration, go to wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash money magic. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic day further. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you find this podcast helpful and enlightening, please can you do me a favor and go leave the podcast a five-star review on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. And of course, share it with your family and friends. I would really appreciate it because it would help other money magicians who are looking to change their relationship with money find this podcast which would really make my day also as a bonus if you're interested in changing your spending habits i have a complimentary ebook for you you can download it at wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook again wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook have a fantastic day further and i look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the money magic podcast